0: Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. I'm Sonia Larea. And we are excited to have you guys. It's episode seven. How are you all? We hope you are doing well. It's September. Sonia, can you believe it's September? No. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> It's September 1st, man. It's time to pay rent, okay? Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: it's, it's, it's rent crazy. paying day. It's the fall, <laughs> but it doesn't feel like it. It's still
0: hot. It's crazy. This year has flown by even though it's been a crazy year. Uh and COVID has been, you know, the the star of 2020. Uh and there were some days that were real slow. They went by real slow, right? But man, I can't believe it's September 1st. Well, oh, no, It's,
1: it's kind of crazy. Um, it's humid. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we'll have fall weather, but that's probably not for another month or so,
0: yes.
1: yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we're still in COVID, right? How are, mm-hmm. how are you doing with that Lacey?
0: Much better than I was at the beginning for sure. Uh, it's, it's, you know, kind of one of those things obviously that's evolved over time. Um, and I think, you know, there's some reality to the mental struggle that comes along with being locked in. And we've talked about that just between you and I, but um, I think what's really uh, refreshing for for me is just having been able to find a good balance between staying safe, but also um, maybe like not doing social distancing. And when I say that, I mean like the social part, <laughs> not the <laughs> physical part. Um, because you know we're all we're human beings. We are made to connect with others, right. and it's just as unhealthy for us to be locked in alone um, and not have interaction with a variety of people as it is to get a, a virus. Um, You know,
1: right? I think it's a, yeah. I think that's yeah. a tough call. There's a lot of people, of course, that. And we know that some of those people are staying in for different reasons for their spouse or for they have an underlying health condition. Mm-hmm. But to your point about the mental illness, um, yeah, I have gone out, okay? I wear the mask. Mm-hmm. I have met people yourself included,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it would be very difficult for me to probably stay in the majority of the time. I just mm-hmm. know myself. I mean i I definitely understand the seriousness of it. I think it really comes down to personal responsibility, Um, making good choices, wearing a mask, disinfecting, even making the decision, hey, this place is not safe. I need to leave. There's a lot of people here. Yep. Uh, Because you have to think about other people, not just yourself.
0: Yeah, you got to listen to your gut. Um, And I think also um, not being in places where there's a lot of people, like a yeah. shit ton of people, um, and keeping your group of people that you interact with, uh, you know, on a regular basis uh, to a minimum. You mm-hmm. know, I still I don't go into. I'm very cautious, and and I don't go into a interior space that's public without a mask on. Period. That's just kind of how right. I've been rolling. But here in Atlanta, if you're outside and if I'm outside, I feel. Comfortable, not wearing a mask, mm-hmm. um, active on the boat line and being out at Piedmont Park and the different places, and started working out again. Um, thankfully, my wrist is healing. Yay! yay. Um, so, yay for that. I do feel like you know we're making progress, as much progress as we can. I think it's gonna be interesting to see how the fall is and the winter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's I'm nervous about, but you know we're we gotta keep living. You know, yeah, we have to keep living. Absolutely. I hear you. <laughs> mm-hmm. We are going into chapter five. What is the being mode? This is part one, because this is such a meaty uh, chapter. And of course, this is the position that you could say that from is advocating for. So it makes sense that there would be a little bit more information, more meat when it comes to the being mode. Of existence. Um, so the first thing I want to do is just kind of go through the, f- the second paragraph of the first page of the chapter. Okay. And Sonia, I mean you can kind of tag-team on this, but uh, you know he, he says he talks about having referring to things and how things are fixed and describable and being is referring to experience. Um, and generally speaking, an experience is certainly not easily describable. And he argues that it's not describable at all. And he says when you begin to describe an experience, immediately the experience is over. Right. That w- once you get to the point where you're describing it, then you're it's done. Not, yeah. it.
1: Then right. that's not the experience. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. Which I mean, I think is super interesting and uh, to think about, right? Like, and maybe not something that many would think is even important, but but I think it is because I think it's once we get an idea of what the definition of an experience is, you mm-hmm. can begin to shift more towards the being mode,
1: right? And uh, he says here, hence being is indescribable in words. I think that's pretty strong
0: when mm. we think about it. Because
1: once we say words, he says, the moment that I express what I experience inclus- exclusively in thoughts and words, the experience has gone. That's yep. really interesting, isn't it? It's it's like the moment has gone. Once right. you're describing it, it's already like past tense. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you about that, you know?
0: And it pulls you out of the experience. because. Exactly you have to stop to describe it. So now you're no longer experiencing it, which kind of leads to the next point, which I think is very interesting. He says, you know, people cannot ever be fully understood toward mm-hmm. to each other mm-hmm. because uh, we're not entirely alike. And even when we're in the most alive mode, which is the being mode, and we're having these experiences, there's no way that I can tell you what my yeah. what experience yeah. No, because it's going to fall short 100 percent of the time. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: the point he says is like, you know, only in the process of mutual alive relatedness can the other and I overcome the barrier of separateness in as much as we both participate Mm -hmm. in that way. So but our full identification of each other can never be achieved. And this is interesting because I remember before I came out of religion and Mm -hmm. thinking like, me and my husband, we're whoever I marry, and I'm mm-hmm. like, now you know me, I don't even want to get married. <laughs> <So> <laughs> me and my husband, we're going to be on the same page about everything. <laughs> right, right, right. And then later on, you know, as I've, you know, come out of that space of, you know, harsh, kind of really religious thinking, I'm like, dude, that's not even realistic. It's and not realistic. Yeah. It, it isn't, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's just not realistic.
1: Yeah, and it's like you're not going to have a twin of you, right? Right. <laughs>
0: you <know>? No, no <laughs> two people are going to agree on everything. No, no. Think the same about everything, which is why you know uh, we can't expect a perfect politician or a perfect anybody, perfect husband, perfect boyfriend, perfect friend. No, they just no. don't exist.
1: It doesn't exist. Um. What's really interesting is how he goes on in this chapter to talk about being, actually that of being active. And so I thought that's interesting because we would uh, define active, uh, I think, as busy. And it's really interesting how from is going to drill down into interactivity, Mm -hmm. um, which is opposed to our traditional way of looking at, say, being busy.
0: Yes. Yes, yeah, so as far as the being mode to be active, he's saying is to give um, expression. I love the way he says this: to give expression to one's faculties, talents, to the wealth of human gifts with which every human being is endowed. It means to renew oneself, mm-hmm. to flow, to flow out, to love, to transcend the prison of one's isolated ego. To oh, give. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, to be interested. So, um, and again, he mentions that they can't—you can't express these fully in words. Um, they're the words point to an experience, but they're not the experience. So, yes. uh, you know, being active is actually, uh, you know, it's—it's it's not as much a, a measurable thing, uh, a mm-hmm. tangible thing as. It is something that's happening on the inside of us.
1: Right. It's an inner, it's an inner, I define it as the inner experience, which yeah. he goes on, like I said earlier to say, you can't describe this in words.
0: Right. Um, yep, exactly. Um, so, and he also says as a result, being the being mode is indescribable in words. Um, and, in the structure of having it's the opposite you know the the dead yes, yes exactly exactly
1: yeah, yeah and to be he says requires giving up one's egocentricity and selfishness and mm-hmm. i love that the fact that he says by making oneself empty mm-hmm. and poor
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that's that's pretty cool yeah. the idea of the emptiness which he's was touched upon before, I think, Um, which obviously if you're empty, then it allows for something to be going to coming in. Mm -hmm. I think in the having mode, you're in that, you know, the attachment, you're attached to to things. So you're not, you're not open to that, to being.
0: It's also, I think a a really much about wanting to be in control, the having Mm -hmm. mode. And, and he talks about how, you know, scared people are to let go of those mm-hmm. things and and come out of the having mode of existence basically because they think they're not gonna survive. And the reality is is like when we walk away and we begin to see ourselves in a way that we can be and live in the being mode, we actually begin to thrive in a way different way.
1: Yeah. He uses a great example of actually this illusion of not being able to walk by yourself. Mm-hmm. And be afraid, you know, which mm-hmm. is so often awesome that, that you're going to collapse. And then uh, once you are you are walking, you see, hey, I can I, I can do this. I don't need a crutch. So yeah. obviously, the metaphor for right holding on, like you're saying, to what we what we thought we needed.
0: <laughs> you know, I think the hard part too is again our society uh, really values or or defines activity in a very different way than the being mode of existence as we've talked just now defines activity and Mm -hmm. they it the way it defines that, that activity is it's a quality he says of behavior that brings about a visible effect by the expenditure of energy and it in a society in our society it's by and large it's socially recognized it's purposeful behavior that results in corresponding socially useful changes and or productivity in the marketplace because it's so about capitalism. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it, it talks about activity really is referring to the behavior of the person, mm-hmm. not the person behind the behavior, not the person who is involved in the behavior, not whether or not that person actually, genuine, sincerely is enjoying that action, activity, right. not whether they're engaged in it. Right. Just that they're doing something, period. That's what activity is. Uh, right, right, The way our society kind of defines it at this point.
1: Uh, I like to see where he says activity by and large is socially recognized, purposeful behavior that results in corresponding socially useful changes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And then then he talks about um, the difference between activity and then busyness. Yeah. And the difference between the two kind of links with the alienated, alienated. Excuse me. I can't say the word tonight. (laughs) Alienated and non alienated um, in respect to activity. So he says in alienated activity, I'm not experiencing myself as the subject so right. I'm, I'm just doing it. I'm experiencing the outcome of the activity. So I'm making a table and I don't really, I'm not even participating I'm from an inner place, Right. About what's going on with the table. I just know that whenever it's done, there's a table, that's it, right? And then, um, it's something separate from me instead of something that's a part of me. Exactly.
1: So it's a product. It's a product of your that activity.
0: Right. Right. And then the non-alienated activity, it's more you're experiencing yourself as the subject of what you're doing, of the subject mm-hmm. of the activity. Mm-hmm. And he says that it's a process of giving birth to something. That's pretty cool. Yes. It, it means that it starts in you. Right, and right. it's something That's that funny, yeah. yeah that you care about. It's not yeah. like something that comes from outside. I mean, think about the way we work today. Mm-hmm. The way we work today is we don't do shit because we want to <laughs> do shit. We do shit because we need a fucking job, <laughs> and the guy who runs the place who's going to pay us. We
1: have to do this.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. I know. And I
1: remember you were asking me, Lacey and I had a discussion today of what would be examples of this. And we came up with some really cool ones. We talked about dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was referring to something spontaneously where you hear music and you just react to that. It's not you're producing anything. And the same with even singing. And I'm sure there's multiple uh, areas, probably creativity and other areas where you're just you're in that moment. There isn't a goal to achieve something.
0: Right. It's more about the experience versus the, the end result. Right. Mm -hmm. So remember you, what what was your example of painting? Didn't you have a, didn't you tell me a story? Oh yeah, I did have a cool story. So I wanted to um, just, I'm
1: not typically like a painter person, but I thought it would be cool to do like these little flowers. um, and I found a little uh, sort of tutorial on YouTube. Oh,
0: it was drawing, sorry. Not drawing.
1: The, yes. Yeah, so drawing. And so okay. I started to do it. And it was fun and it was relaxing. But then I found myself being really critical and then saying, no, I did it wrong. It should be this way and not liking it and really kind of making it more of a, uh, of a lesson where I'm you know, just trying to get it right, trying to get it right. And I'm realizing I'm pulling myself out of that experience where I'm looking at to see what have I produced. Did I accomplish this as opposed to just letting it flow? Yeah. And whatever I did was okay. And, and trying to be more in that moment, mm-hmm. trying to be in that moment.
0: And, and, you know, I had a very similar experience. I think I mentioned that I was painting on one of our podcast episodes. Yes, yes. Yeah. Earlier in the, when we were in lockdown. And I remember when I first started, I was like, you know what? I don't care what this ends up looking like. It's not about that. You know, like I'm just going to paint and just, mm-hmm. and I remember just being present and being like, if I did something on the painting that I thought, what is that supposed to be? Or what maybe I wasn't originally thinking that was going to happen. I thought, okay, well, that's going to work itself out. Like, you know, whatever, it's fine. And, you know, it'll just evolve. Right. And then after a certain point, I got over to this place in my head where I was like, I don't know what this really is. And what it's <laughs> supposed to be. And I got discouraged. I was like, damn, this doesn't really look good when you think about like what looks good for art? Right. Right. And, right. and so I disengaged. And that is, I think, what you're saying, what I'm saying is a very good example of the the op, the, the two different alienated, non-alienated activity right. is why are you doing it? Why are we doing it? Are we doing it? Because we need to produce something, we need to achieve something, there needs to be some outcome, or are we doing it, and we're like, present in the moment, Mm -hmm. experiencing it, and that full being mode of just like, being, right there, letting it be what it is learning about ourselves through the process of it.
1: Yeah, I think our culture would also say like, why? Why are you doing this? Like, what's the purpose of it? Like, what? Why are you like Mm -hmm. wasting your time? Like, you need to be doing something else. Yeah, that's something that we have to kind of push back. You know, well, if
0: if you're not, you know, being productive or (laughs) doing something that you can make money from, right? Then why the heck are you doing it? Right? Or if it's not going to look beautiful, like some other thing that people do in society with art, then what the fuck are you doing it for? <laughs> like, Which
1: yeah. I would like to segue. Earlier, you talked about the busyness, right? Yes. And I want to talk to you guys about this New York Times article.
0: Yes, this is so good.
1: It's called The Busy Trap. So I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs, and then we can chat about it, Lacey. Okay. Listen. Awesome. Um, it's called The Busy Trap by Tim Kreider. Okay. If you live in America in the 21st century, you probably had to listen to a lot of people tell you how busy they are. It's become the default response when you ask anyone how they're doing. Busy. So busy, crazy busy. It is pretty obviously a boast disguised as a complaint. And the stock response is a kind of congratulation. That's a good problem to have, or better than the opposite. Notice it isn't generally people pulling back-to-back shifts in the ICU or commuting by bus to three minimum wage jobs who tell you how busy they are. What those people are is not busy but tired, exhausted, dead on their feet. It's almost always people whose lamented busyness is purely self-imposed. Work and obligations they've taken on voluntarily, classes and activities they've encouraged their kids to participate in, they're busy because of their own ambition or drive or anxiety, because they're addicted to busyness and dread what they might have to face in its absence.
0: Mm. Okay, tell me what you think. <laughs> God, that, that guy is so good. I love this shit. And you know I what, know. he wrote it in 2012, right? Yeah, I know. I know. Insane. I know. Yes. And And it's like, oh, I'm busy. That's a great thing. Right. Really? Really
1: exactly. Exactly. I mean, what I loved about it is it just talks about the truth, how people and I'm guilty in the past more so than today, of course, of saying that. And when you reflect on it, what does that mean? What are you doing? Is it worthwhile? Is it valuable? Yeah, You know, it, it, I, I hate to be melodramatic, but if tomorrow you're, like, on your deathbed, are you saying, God, I wish I would have been more busy? You know? <laughs> you
0: know? Right.
1: I don't think so. And so it's it's just sort of like a perception that people have to put out there. And I think it really pulls away from, the, well, obviously the being mode that we're talking about tonight, you know.
0: Yeah. It, it reminds me, too, of, um, you know, how how from dissects like what is productive and what is productivity mm-hmm. in this chapter and through the being mode because he talks about how like when we are productive uh a lot of times you don't see anything visibly as a mm-hmm. result mm-hmm. and then if you look at like that article and talking about busyness yeah you can see how busy someone is <laughs> But what's the quality? The quantity is high, but what's yeah. the quality behind what they're doing? Right? What is that? You know, what is that bringing? What is the value? What's the point? Even you know, here, hearing you talk, Lacey,
1: makes me think, and it would be really reframing ourselves. Is that we're all always looking for measurement, aren't we? Because he talks mm-hmm. about also later uh, the student, the the schedule and time. They schedule in time with friends the way students with 4.0 GPAs. <laughs> Make sure to sign up for community service. So what that reminds me of, though, is, you know, we tend to, as a culture, we want to measure stuff, right? So Mm. when you do something, say you're doing something in your apartment, you can say, I did this. So how do you measure Mm. things that spending time with a friend or, you know, music or whatever, being in nature? See, how do you measure that? And there's where people fail, right? Because they want to show, see this, it's on my resume, it's on yeah. my see all the calls I made, you know? We yes. really
0: are missing it. So true. It's so true. Because we have such a, a society that's so driven by measurement, mm-hmm. right? That is not something that can be measured. The, the activity, the productive activity that takes place on the inside of us that Aristotle, he says a little bit later in this chapter, mm-hmm. said is the most important thing is the contemplative life. Right. That can't be measured. I can't. And, and you know, yeah, I have to throw this in there because I, I thought yeah. something said, it just
1: started me thinking, and I'm just generalizing here because I don't know a specific person, but you've heard these stories about young people who are high achievers. I mean, they're talented they're good students or they're athletes or whatever. They're doing something incredible in their life and they commit suicide. And then, of course, everybody says, why? Like they had this and they had that and they accomplished this. But think about it. We don't know emotionally what they were dealing with, even though they had, oh, all the things that could show you that they did to yeah. your point of measuring it. How was their well-being?
0: <laughs> I can't I can't. Yeah. Help but letting this but go in here, because this reminds me of. um this is a, a documentary we both watched, Athlete A on Netflix. Oh, yeah, exactly. You look at those girls who were driven as a good one to right. their very absolute best. And they, you know, they won gold medals in the Olympics. But yeah. they were not experiencing they a life of well-being. <laughs> not yeah. even close. Not even close. The two do not. Match up just because one, you know, happens doesn't mean the other one is, you know. Right.
1: It's, it's incredible. So, yeah. On the outside looking in, we're thinking that that is a guarantee of that's not success. It's being pushed to um to do something beyond what you even know. What even you know you want is how I would view that. Um, yeah. Oh, go good. No, no, no. I was going to say that I just recommend people to watch that night without giving any of it away. There's only one girl, and I think you'll agree with me in that. To me, I'm not saying the other women and girls they grew up in in that documentary have evolved, but there's one who took charge of her life. Do you remember the one that she ends up going to a college and getting out, getting out of the Olympics, which I thought was a really healthy choice because she was um, they wouldn't allow her to. To compete because of, I don't recall the name, but she ends up going, she ends up going, deciding to go to school and Hmm. living more of a, I guess, something a little bit more traditional in her, for her age group. And she ends up competing in a, um, you know, collegiate level. But the other ones were kind of, you know, they were following this intense driven path.
0: Yes. Um, Yes. And, there's a price to pay for that, right? There's a price to pay for. And, and the other side of that coin is is that there is the empowerment that we all do have to go and just go away from these mm-hmm. things. We can walk away. Mm-hmm. You know. I'm not saying that it's always easy, and I'm not saying everybody automatically has the resources that they need to do that, because mm-hmm. certainly it's not in the case. But in principle here, the idea is, let's take it back to Frome, we can shift over to operating out of the being mode. You right. know, we, and can- we,
1: need, we need a culture that supports that. Yes. A culture of, of love and support, not a culture that says you are what is on your
0: resume. And think about the quality of what, okay. Think about the difference in the quality of what those girls or any of us would do if it was an intrinsic motivation if it wasn't an extrinsic and you could even apply this to to work as well Mm -hmm. but you know that's why whenever i was leading the atlanta yang gang i was like i'm not gonna ask people to do shit i'm gonna say hey let's do this stuff and if you Mm want to do something do it and empower people to kind of run with what it was that they wanted to do that they enjoyed because people are gonna do what they enjoy but they're, they're they might do what they don't enjoy but they won't do it for very long You know, and they do it as as quality as if they're like taking They're then they're taking ownership.
1: Right. And if you keep with the sports example, I would say there's a lot of people who have loved their sport. But when it's become a job.
0: Yes. It's
1: become the pressure. They say, wow, I don't like this anymore. This isn't fun.
0: Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. That's why I didn't play soccer in college. (laughs) Didn't want to deal with the pressure. It didn't make sense. Oh, okay, Makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so, uh, he does talk about, you know, we talked a little bit about how, um, shoot, I'm losing my mind here. Well, I know
1: we were You kind of touched on the masters, so I'm not sure on the activity of the, he, he does bring up some of these thinkers,
0: um, Uh,
1: who do we say Aristotle, Aristotle? um, which is definitely is, it talks about the contemplative life
0: Mm -hmm. she believes
1: that's the highest form of activity you know i want to read that
0: that's what i want to read
1: devoted to the search for truth which um
0: yes okay let me back up and i'm going to read just a couple of sentences from that because this is so good so before i do that though let me just give a little bit of context so um pre-industrial society activity and passivity weren't like it wasn't something that they was even thinkable to talk about in Athenian society um, because the people who were being, who were doing activity were slaves right. and that's, of course they were being active. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the people who were not were, were doing what they called praxis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just refers to any kind of like activity that a free person would do. Right? So they had every right to have Ownership of their lives, their lifestyles, their time, whatever they did all the time. So uh, it says the problem of subjectively meaningless, alienated, purely routinized work could hardly arise for free Athenians. Their freedom implied precisely that because they were not slaves, their activity was productive and meaningful to them. The air that Aristotle did not share our present concepts of activity and passivity becomes unmistakably clear if we will consider that for him, the highest form of praxis, i.e., activity, even above political activity, because he was very for that, right. is contemplative life. So, this is what I mentioned a little bit ago devoted to the search for truth. The idea that contemplation was a form of inactivity was unthinkable for him. <laughs> no. Yeah. Aristotle considers contemplative life the activity of the best part of it, part in us. Um, so the um, well-being consists not in pleasures, but in activities in accordance with virtue. Yeah. Eudaimonia. Mm-hmm. Right. Eudaimonia, which is part of like why you do contemplation. And he said, look, this is the most important activity.
1: Right. And don't you think today, if we were doing living a contemplative life, people would describe that as inactive. in our day and age. They'd be like, <laughs> be like, you're not doing anything.
0: Yes. They'd be like, what the hell are you doing? You're not, you're waste. Can you imagine if a child, uh, like a young adult told her that, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to con- contemplate. <laughs> well, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you're going to make, make an ass of this family. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I know. I know. We don't, we're not even close to that. Um, yeah, I think uh, the whole idea behind that too is the idea, and we're going to keep talking about it. I mean, I know as Thomas Aquinas, I mean, you ha- to have a contemplative life, um, you're allowing yourself to be still. Mm-hmm. You're allowing, you know, your inner, the inner knowledge and and to be able to be, to just be the, the thing that we've been discussing this whole chapter. The only way you're going to achieve that is having a contemplative life. Yeah. Um, but I think it's really a foreign concept to most people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's not something that we're the general person is striving for. But ironically, I would say with COVID, I brought this up to Lacey today. Mm-hmm. I think some people have been forced to be in that space, whether they wanted to or not, right? True, because there true. isn't all these things going on. And I, I brought up to Lacey, which um, I can share real quickly, is I found a little article that. All these individuals who just had tons of spare time on their hand,
0: oh yeah, so they' doing a lot of
1: creative projects you know they yeah. they always wanted to do it. It was everything from you know painting to building to woodwork to baking to the list is endless, but it's mm-hmm. it's just fascinating. It's almost like you know your brain just who explodes with creativity.
0: What was the example uh, the pergola? Oh
1: example? yeah, a guy, a guy said his girlfriend said, "I really want a pergola."
0: And he mm-hmm. researched
1: it and it was like thousands of dollars. He's like, I can do that. So he went and got the wood and he sanded and he cut and he did whatever he did. It showed this beautiful pergola. But there's mm-hmm. just there were so many examples. It was it was pretty impressive.
0: I know somebody who redid their parents' basement completely. Really? Oh, it was wow. like obviously it took this whole six Tom, months or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But like I'm like, wow, talk about getting creative. You, you know, know, and I don't
1: know. want to bring in you know, marketing and stuff with this, but I will make a comment because we live in this this uh, Western world that says you always have to be doing something. A lot of these people, this was very much a hobby, but some of them were able to leave what their jobs were and, and do something that they were passionate about and make some, earn some income,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is, is awesome because they're doing something they enjoy.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and believe it or not, guys, yeah. life will be <laughs> a lot better for all of us if we all did that.
1: Absolutely. So yeah. So I think you going back to this. I think you do need to have. And as we say, um, and I'll read here where it says, "For Aquinas too, the life devoted to inner stillness and spiritual knowledge, the vita contemplativa, mm-hmm. is the highest form of human activity."
0: Damn, that's not even like a, a non-negotiable. It's the highest form of human activity.
1: Right. Right.
0: That's no joke. Wow. Um, and then, of course, Spinoza. Oh, um, he's good. I love Spinoza and From loves Spinoza. I want to read this part because I think it's really good. Mm-hmm. Spinoza brings so much to this. In the book that he wrote, well, I don't know if it's a book, In Ethics, which is something Spinoza wrote, he distinguishes between activity and passivity. Mm-hmm. They're the two fundamental aspects of the mind's operation. The first criterion for acting is that an action follows from human nature. Okay, hold on, hold the phone. Human nature does not say to get up at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I'm against work people, but do you see what I'm saying? Okay, yeah. anyway, uh, action follows from human nature. I say that we act when anything is done, either within us or without us, in which we are the adequate cause. That is to say when from our nature, anything flows Either within or without us, by which the nat- that nature alone can be clearly and distinctly understood. Um, so we are the cause. We genuinely, from a place of like, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. That's the first criterion for acting in a in an active situation. It's a, that it flows from human nature. I love right,
1: that. Right. Right. And um, yeah, he yeah, it's an interesting thing because he uses the examples that human nature is as characteristic for human beings as horse nature is for the horse. Yep. Um, he, he, it's really, really good. He sure. also goes on to say optimal realization of one species nature in the case of people, human nature
0: is the goal of life. The closer mm.
1: we arrive at the model of human nature, the greater
0: are our freedom and well-being that is huge that is a pinnacle right foundational understanding i believe and it makes sense in the context if you look at other animals other beings mm-hmm. what is their, their own nature role? it's to achieve, be in their highest nature <laughs> you know like and that's exactly what it is for us, too. But we've gotten so confused. Well, right yeah, now. we're
1: suffering because we pulled away from our nature, actually. And that's where I know you're going to get into the mental health part, you know, what he mm-hmm. sees about our actions and how we how we are living. And that yeah. that's amazing to me. Yeah.
0: He says, on the other hand, I say that we suffer. When anything is done within us, or when anything follows from our nature, of which we are not the cause, except, except partially. partially. Let's yeah. think about how many people and what percentage of the time in our society spend doing that something that doesn't follow from our nature and we're not the cause of, except partially. Right. We don't, you know, work a 50 hour week, most of us. Because we fully one hundred percent of us wants to do that. It's because, yeah. hey, we need a paycheck, and this goes back to uh, you know how unhealthy the society is. Because he's saying like that's when we're suffering. Well, Why okay. is there a depression epidemic? Hmm. Let me think about that.
1: It's we're, we're failing to live the requirements of our human nature.
0: That's right. Yes. And so will you start the, um, the, the part about the mental health? Oh, I sure.
1: Sure. Some um, thoughts
0: on that.
1: For some Spinoza, mental health is, in the last analysis, a manifestation of right living. Hmm. A mental illness a symptom of the failure to live according to the requirements of human nature. I love, I love this part. But if the greedy person thinks only of money and possessions, the ambitious one only of fame. One does not think of them as being insane but only as annoying, generally one has contempt for them. But factually, greediness, ambition, and so forth are forms of insanity, although usually one does not think of them as illness. And that's what he says in ethics.
0: This is amazing. I know. This is amazing. It really is a form of insanity to be obsessed. And that's what we are. We're obsessed Mm -hmm. with making money, with working, with all of it. And with the greed, with the things. Yeah, exactly.
1: He uses the word, which I think is really interesting that those passions, he talks about them as pathological.
0: Mm. That's
1: pretty crazy. And I think because we've accepted that we meaning the society, we can't even see the pathology of how damaging that is. Because we are go, we are contradicting our nature.
0: Mm. Okay. Will you kind of, as best you can, break that word down for all of us, myself included? Pathological. Because I'm, I think I'm following you, but I want to make sure. He says Spinoza considers passions that do not correspond to the needs of human nature as pathological. In fact, he goes on to far it's call them a form of insanity. Right. So, kind of help me understand the way you understand that.
1: Um I'm actually going to give you the definition so if that can help for everybody. Okay. Um okay, pathological is involving caused by or of the nature of a physical or mental disease.
0: Wow. So
1: and also I would think of it as also compulsive or obsessive. Think about like a yeah. pathological gambler. Right, so or when you think of that. Yeah. They do like, it, but it's a know. compulsion. Damn, and that's what you know, that's kind of the best way to um you know i'll give you an example another example if something's caused by a physical mental disease it's pathological like someone with a pathological compulsion for cleanliness might scrub the floors for hours every night Mm -hmm. so it's that intent that's to me i define it as the repetitive um compulsive behavior it's extreme okay Right. And so that's, I, I, I think this is where when you talk about, you can talk about greed, you can talk about a lot of things that are pathological. Mm. And well, to me, it's the pendulum, whew, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> swinging the other way.
0: It goes right into the mental health element. I mean, obviously if it's pathological, it's not healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's also not healthy because it, do, it goes against human nature.
1: Right. I mean, you have to look at life also balancing. I mean, you know, we talked about working out or eating right. If you do anything to the extreme, you could be a pathological, you know, uh, exercise person, you, you know, you're up every morning, night, day, you're obsessed. Maybe you're, you know, checking weighing yourself or, you know, measuring everything that's called, that's a pathology of not being, you know, in harmony with, with nature. I mean, that's not a way of living. Um, Mm -hmm. That's how I see, and and, you know what they talk about here, obviously they talk about ambition, money, possessions, and I I I think it's really interesting because what I'm reading in this is this extreme way of living, because if you look at the language, if the greedy person thinks only of money and possessions, the ambitious one only of fame, you know, it's, it's, it's the fact that this is kind of, it's the obsessive side of that.
0: Right. Right. You know, hmm.
1: um, I mean, I, I want to clarify for the audience. Yeah. We all know we live in a world where we have currency. So yes, you have money you go buy your food or you go pay your rent. I'm not, we're not criticizing that. It's this obsessive nature that we have mm-hmm. to this extreme that pulls us away. In my opinion, yeah. if from talks about of, of being, because we're living th- this other, um, a way that's against our nature
0: that's kind of how I see it period and that's where how do we find a well-being Mm -hmm. where is well-being it's living in accordance with our nature Mm -hmm. and there are things that I think I've heard people say well let's it's just human nature to be competitive I think maybe Mm -hmm. to some extent there's some but no no I don't think that's you know uh, supported by history if you look past like beyond uh, industrial society um and a- agriculture and that kind of thing there's a lot of things that we mistake my point is is this for human nature that are not they are mm-hmm. culturally ingrained in that's us that's true that's true and what we need to do is is know what our nature is what mm-hmm. the, what the universal human nature is and feed that Yeah. And- honor honor our nature That's right. Right. Honor our nature and give to that and see how much happier we all are. Loving relationships, you know, having relate, loving people, having relationships, community, being together, connecting with other people that is natural as natural can be for a human being. Mm -hmm. And that's something we're losing.
1: Right.
0: It's, it's, we're losing it. The other thing that he talks about that I'll read in the same section um, about Spinoza's ideas about passions and passivity mm-hmm. um, is that he says that to be driven by irrational passions is to be mentally sick. To the degree that we achieve optimal growth, we are not only relatively free, strong, rational, and joyous, but also mentally healthy. To the degree that we achieve optimal growth, that is the degree that we are mentally healthy. To the degree that we failed to reach this aim, we are unfree, weak, lacking rationality, and depressed. Spinoza, to my knowledge, was the first modern thinker to postulate that mental health and sicknesses are outcomes of right and wrong living, respectively. I'm not a huge fan of of those two words, right and wrong living. I I like healthy and unhealthy a lot more, Mm -hmm. but you get the idea.
1: But isn't that awesome that he recognizes how important mental health is? Right, right. You know we need to um here in the u s recognize that, and I know we have discussed that before, but mental health should be on the top of the the list here mm-hmm. and collectively i mean it it needs to not be uh, a taboo
0: no no it's you can't separate um mental health from physical you know all of the rest we're one being it's all one thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: And so I don't understand how we got to a place where that just got shunned and put in the corner, but well, mm-hmm. we did, we really, really did. Right. Yeah. Um. And, you know, that kind of reminds me a little bit about basic income too, that, you know, with basic income, it would be a lot easier for us to have the time and the space to give to what we need for our own mental health, um, sure. for community, for people together, you know, spending time, making that a priority again.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Valuing humanity. We Mm -hmm. need that. We need that floor and we need, you know, everyone to come along. It can't Mm -hmm. be just a certain percentage of our population as we, we both agree on.
0: Right. And, and speaking of basic income, we would be amiss if we did not mention this since there, this is happening in Atlanta, the basic income March, uh, this will be the second annual one mm-hmm. um, is happening here in Atlanta in s- this month, right? September 19th. September 19th. Yeah. Check um, it out, guys. So, yes, uh, I'm sure you can Google. You can Facebook.
1: just Google it and it's yeah. all over the country, but you'll see what's going on
0: in Atlanta. Yeah. So. so that's happening this month. And, of course, we're supportive of that because we know how much it would lend to providing the space for the being mode of existence. Um, to occur. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, what do you think, Sonia? Final words, final thoughts? um, Final
1: words is um, everybody stay safe. Do something that makes you feel good, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, you know, read a book, take a nap, Mm -hmm. self-care, self-care, tell somebody you love them. Um, Just Mm -hmm. live your best life as you can through this COVID and through the change of seasons and can't wait to be back here with you all again.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, Well, well said, Sonia. I don't have much to add to that. Just thanks guys for listening. We enjoy this. We enjoy the topics obviously that we're discussing and we hope that it brings some type of goodness to your life. That's the point. So um, stay tuned more to come and stay safe and have a great one. We appreciate you guys. Bye. Bye.